an intellectual humility allows someone that can take in information, and this kind of maybe can help you distinguish between who's crazy and who isn't, because it seems to me that even though if maybe somebody's not crazy or diagnosed as being insane or have some type of disorder, or maybe it's not anything violent, but I personally am starting to think that if you don't have better decision-making skills, that maybe you are falling into some type of mental disorder. Am I wrong for saying that? We at the Collective Perspective Podcast have set out on a mission to understand some of the most impactful and controversial trends and topics in our lives today. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm Travis. I'm DJ. Can we find common ground in the middle in a peaceful manner? Not for political gain, but for real community benefit. We believe so. As veterans and concerned citizens, we are bringing together diverse views and fact-based research to navigate this tough terrain in search of a viable path forward. Only time will tell, but if we listen with open minds and try to understand each other, we just may find a solution. Or two, collectively. That is why we care about what you have to say. If something piques your interest or ruffles your feathers or tickles your fancy or whatever else you'd like, leave us an audio message at podinbox.com backslash collective perspective podcast, all one word, or directly on our show page at mtsjax.fm backslash collective perspective podcast. You'll have to log in, but that won't cost much more than your time. We'll be discussing your messages on the show, whether you give us a high five or say, hey, you better do some fact checking, fool. As long as it's positive and it's your perspective, we'll possibly give you some airtime. But remember, it needs to be family-friendly and not defamatory in nature. Hey, everybody. This is Collective Perspective Podcast, and we're here in sunny Jacksonville, Florida, talking with you collectively from the Main Street Suite at Mixed Theory Studios. Collectively. Hey, everybody. This is Jeff from the Collective Perspective, and I have my buddy Travis here. And today on the podcast, we have... What everybody doesn't want to talk about, mental health disorder, a wide range of conditions affecting your mood, behavior, and your thinking. We've done a lot of research on this, but we're lucky to have a medical professional on board with us all the time. So if me and DJ fall out, then we're good too. We got some emergency care right here. But the most common types of disorders affecting mental health are clinical depression, which is a disorder that's characterized by persistently depressed mood and loss of interest in activities. And I think all of us kind of go through bits of depression through different parts of our lives and different things that are happening. And I definitely know that, you know, dealing and coping with loved ones dying, especially during the pandemic or any time, definitely creates some type of depression. But the word clinical means that it's repetitive, no? No, no. I think clinical depression, it says it right there in it. It's a persistently depressed. And usually when they're speaking on persistence of a mood or of a disorder, it's more than a specified time frame. Generally speaking, it's more than six months, but it could be anything more than three months for that to be diagnosed as their mental health issue. Like you said, everyone goes through mental health depression with the loss of a loved one or with struggling in their life or just having a bad day at work. There's ups and downs in everyone's life. You know, going back to the list of common types, finish the list as a Clinical depression and anxiety are probably the top common too, but we'll discuss many more. Bipolar disorder, dementia, which includes Alzheimer's. And that's getting uh, bigger. Alzheimer's is a pretty 
frequent diagnosis these days. Uh, there's also attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, schizophrenia, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, autism, and PTSD. Now, uh, Travis, I have a question for you. How could mental health be detected? How does it normally? Because I think most people that have mental issues don't know it themselves. That is true. Many times family members can pick up on the cues, but they don't know what to do with them. You have a family member that is generally outgoing and is very active and they do a lot of activities. They're interacting with the family a lot and then they kind of shut down. They're not talking as much as they used to. They don't find joy in the activities that they used to do. This is more talking towards depression. You can see it a lot in their body language. Yes, you can see it there. More often than not, though, when it comes to mental health, a mental health professional is the one that actually has to diagnose it. Family and friends, right. they can see the, the symptoms or the signs, if What you are will. those early signs? Losing interest in food or, on the other end, um, eating more because people kind of will stress eat or they'll eat to make themselves feel better. Uh, those are some of the coping mechanisms that some people develop to make themselves feel better is eating more or just shutting down, being in a dark room, watching whatever movie or listening to goth metal. Or Morrissey. Morrissey works. Anything sad and depressing, you know, like girlfriend in a coma. Yeah, that sounds pretty depressing. Yeah. So there are these disorders and we'll talk about age groups and different types of different disorders. But what I have found is that there are a few different things that cause or create some type of mental disorder. And some of them may be permanent, some may be long-term, right? And I can go ahead and name them off is genetics, brain damage, like getting in a car accident or getting hit in the head by something, uh, chemical imbalance, and childhood abuse, especially in the developing ages one through five. Genetics and chemical imbalances, I feel, are pretty closely correlated to where, you know, if you have a family member who had schizophrenia, your chances are better at developing schizophrenia yourself. If it's like a direct father, grandfather, mother in, in your direct line, not like a distant second or third cousin, it's there, but it's a low likelihood. But if it's a direct parent or sibling or something, you have a higher likelihood. And most of them are treated similarly as if they are all a chemical imbalance. And that's why they prescribe the medications in which they do. Right. The chemical imbalance would correct that imbalance chemically. The medicines correct the imbalance. But I do think that there are other ways to treat that. And we'll get into that in a little bit. A good example of uh, brain damage is Rosie O'Donnell. And I don't know if you know, but during the pandemic, she got canceled out of her own show because she made some unnecessary comments online. But coming from someone that's clinically insane and has been in and out of mental hospitals throughout their whole life because she was in a car accident where she used to be really good at math and after the car accident, her life just changed and it just so happened that the comedic side of Roseanne came out and that's the byproduct of that. And there are a lot of insane people that function throughout life. They usually, I would say, get tripped up by drugs and alcohol because I, I feel like drugs and alcohol is a security blanket for... Or a scapegoat. A scapegoat for their disorders. 
What we found was that, and according to the Mayo Clinic, that the most common disorder, and that even gets breaking down to different categories as well, is anxiety. And more than 3 million cases per year. We're talking 3 million new cases per year, right? Of anxiety. Of anxiety every year. That's a lot of people, man. That's a lot of drugs being handed out too. But I think, you know, people go through depression and anxiety naturally in life. And it's about how you can cope with it. I'm, I'm sure there's anxious points and even you know, providing medical care that you get anxious, right, Travis? Yes. When I'm getting ready to go do a live show, there is a bit of anxiety, even though, you know, I have 20 years of experience in doing what I'm doing. Travis has 20 years of experience in doing what he's doing. But I guess in a way, kind of PTSD moment in our head where we kind of doubt ourselves. Is that not true? And, uh, and that's kind of where anxiety is living, is doubt. Anxiety is a type of distress that is manifest with negative coping mechanisms. So there's two types of stress that we go through. There's distress and eustress. One is bad and one is good. Eustress is that euphoric feeling, if you think of it that way. And distress would be more of anxiety and inducing feelings. You know what else I do? I undress. <laughs> <laughs> Daily. Hopefully not in front of an open window. But stress in general <laughs> and anxiety, it, you know, it can elicit that fight or flight response from us. And that's where people, they don't know how to handle that rush of adrenaline and it gets them jittery. If you're having a panic attack or an anxiety attack, you get a rapid breathing, you get the fast heart rate. So your body is producing those chemicals and releasing them, causing your body to react that way. And I think people don't have the knowledge or the experience to know what's going on and how to deal with it, how to calm themselves down and move on from it. So that's how I feel about that. Well, that's uh, heart attack symptoms as well, right? That sometimes people confuse anxiety attacks with heart attack symptoms. How do you know the difference whether you're having a heart attack or an anxiety attack? So you, you can't. Well, Holy crap. You can, but it's hard to. The main thing, if you're having like a really bad heart attack, you literally feel like you're going to die. Like that's, oh my God, I'm going to die with this one. And that's that impending doom. But there are some panic attacks that you get that impending doom and that you don't know. So we don't like give out all kinds of medical advice here on the show. But if you had that feeling and you feel like it's an emergency, you Consult should get with your doctor or 911, you know, get to right. the hospital right, right away. I mean, we don't want anybody to think that they're burdening anyone else with this. If it's just a panic attack, we want to know, hey, what caused this? Is it really your heart? If it's not your heart, you're good. Okay. We can work through this a little bit easier then. It kind of leads me to uh, one of the favorite sayings that I like to point out, and it's just 100% truth. But Buddha says that if you live in the past, you are sad. If you live in the future, you are anxious. And if you live in the present, you are happy. I like that. Me too. My wife is Buddhist. I've never heard that. Well, if you think about it, if you live in the past, you're dwelling on something. And dwelling is a little bit different because 
dwelling doesn't really like cause anxiety to me. It just so, makes me sad. Living in the past, you could be reminiscing briefly, well, that's but then what you move is. out of it and you're back in the present. You're like, how can I bring that to the present or how can I apply the lessons learned from then to now? Well, ideally that's what a healthy person would want to do, but I mean, correct. And, and even in, a healthy person goes through feeling sorry for themselves, I guess, in a way. Oh, no, we, I think we all struggle with the self-image and self-idealization. Right now, honestly, I feel fat, man. I, and it really stressed me out to be able to, like, man, I got to do something about my diet, but uh, I'm glad I did. That's funny because I'm feeling the same way right about now. <laughs> so... There's obviously different age groups that you can categorize. So the Mayo Clinic has it broken up 6 to 13, 14 to 18, 19 to 40 is a big jump, 41 to 60 is a big jump, and then 60 and beyond. They pretty much say that it's very common in every one of them. Maybe a little less common in seniors and children from 6 to 13, but what about 1 through 5? I really don't know. I haven't seen much literature on that age group. And I think a lot of that would probably be because we want to protect the youth and don't want to subject them to experimentation to see, especially mental health experimentation. Well, I know, for example, my son has a speech delay, which isn't, you know, a mental disorder. My son had the same thing. He was able to go to VPK basically two years in a row before starting kindergarten. You know, in November, they're like, yeah, he's good to go on kindergarten skills. And I was so proud of him. But the reason I mention it is because he had kids in his class that were there because of behavioral issues under the age of six. And that could be, you know, ADHD, early signs of whatever disorder. But a lot of it's just like the kid is really aggressive. Or is um, that bad parenting? I think that's bad parenting. Spare the rod, spoil the child. I, I think that... So then they come up with some type of mental disorder because they have insurance or something? Possibly. Who benefits from diagnosing a kid with ADHD? Kids are hyper. Kids run. Anybody that sells medicine. That's correct. And anybody who profits on the diagnosis of that. But that's me being cynical about medicine. You're being the alt-right right now. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe I am. I think uh, anybody in the right mind thinks that they're uh, poisoning I, I, these kids. Yes, up until a certain age, an appropriate spanking is called for. You're not beating your child. You're giving them a quick reaction to correct bad behavior. Would you call it beaten or uh, spanked? I got whooped. And as a kid, yeah, it sucked. You know, I had a belt taken to me. I had switches taken to me. Never a chancla. I wasn't in uh, San Diego. Chancleta. So, How about your own kids? Yes, I spanked them up until probably about first grade because they had done the behaviors early up until that time. And then after that, it was usually a stern look or father's deep, disappointed voice, I guess would correct the behaviors and they did not need any more corporal punishment for it. You know, for me to one judge or have a different perspective, my perspective is a little different, but that doesn't mean that I think that correcting your child in that way is wrong because then otherwise I'm criticizing my own parents too. And I don't really think that I was really, it didn't create any type of PTSD because 
that was the only time my parents used it was to correct me, not over stupid things. Yes. And so when it gets a little crazy where that kid's constantly getting smacked around for the smallest little things, like I remember one time, and I I probably deserved it. I mean, I can think about it now. I'd probably be pretty mad too is that my dad got this new TV and everything. He had his Budweiser on top, and I knocked it over right by the electrical cord and stuff and got it all wet. And he kind of punched me, you know. But I wasn't really mad at him. I mean, I probably would have been pissed off too, man. I don't think any different than my dad. So uh, we'll put it on my mom too. This is a test if they're listening because uh, then they can call me. But that story is not untrue. My mom would spank me and spank me until I just turned around and started laughing at her. And then she no longer spanked me again. But I was probably about 13 or so. I don't know. I was a bad kid though, man. You were a bad kid too, weren't you? I wasn't bad. Did you get spanked a lot? Up until I was about eight. That was the last time I think I got a real spanking from my grandmother. I wasn't listening to her. I wasn't following her rules. I wasn't doing, you know, she said, don't climb the tree. So I was climbing this tree tree that was, it was a tall tree and it didn't have a lot of branches on it. So you had to kind of shimmy up it. And I got up to the top and she came out and saw me and I was like, oh crap. And I knew I was going to get spanked. And sure enough, she brought me inside, grabbed her belt. She had a thin one too. So it hurt. I didn't climb the tree again. Let's put it that way. So yeah, I mean, that was how I feel like a lot of us in this generation were raised, but that's like a double-edged sword because then you can go the other way and the people our age now would say, well, I'm never beating my kids. I'm never spanking them because I know what it was like to get spanked. Yeah, you know what it was like, but it worked. I understand the perspective, though, because I'll be honest, man, I have never hit Irie once, never spanked her, my older daughter. But I tell you what, man, if I raise my voice like a dad raises his voice, that deep growl, I can make the boy cry and he'll listen to what I have to say. I mean, it's all about mental health and like the upbringing of your kid. It has everything to do with what we're talking about. But if you go to a mental facility, they're going to label you with every mental disorder to some percentage. They're going to give you a percentage of like how this guy's got panic disorder of 50% or, you know, whatever other specific phobia that this person has or condition, they're going to give you a percentage on everything. And so you go on Netflix and every story about every one of these serial killers is about how their parents neglected them or abused them to some degree. Someone in their family, an adult figure, a man and a woman is what these kids need and it's really important that the first five years that these kids are just happy as can be and i can proudly say that my wife and and not to discredit any other mother but everybody always asks why are my kids so happy and i think that's just mental stability is why they're happy yeah in their formative years absolutely i think you're right i think a lot of that has to do with As you said, you and your wife, it's both of you together. It's me and my wife and my kids. They're happy. They're, they do well in school. They're well-adjusted. They have a lot of people like them. They don't get into trouble. I think that having that duality in the head of the household with the mother and the father there really does play a big role in helping kids be more stable and develop their morals and their right and wrong compass from that early age. 
And when it's a single family, not saying that single parents can't do it, it's a lot harder for them to do it. Right. To go back to depression and anxiety, why is it that people will seek second opinions on medical procedures and not on their own elected officials? Confirmation bias. I think that's a good uh, segue into what I think Travis will have the most enjoyment in tonight of talking about, and that is the government's role in COVID and the mental welfare of our country. They have college courses on it. It's called political science, and they perform experiments just like any other scientist would. And this whole pandemic was a live experiment, if you will, on what the government can and can't do to an individual based on, especially in America, with our constitution that protects the largest minority on the planet, the individual. Individual rights is what our constitution solidifies. And the government doing mandates or making laws without reading the bills, those were experiments to see what they can get away with, how much they can limit people. That is my opinion. We were told we had to get a medical treatment or we couldn't work. We had to get a medical treatment or we couldn't go to a restaurant or to the bar or to the gym. And that goes against self-autonomy, liberty of the individual. And that was probably one of the biggest experiments that the government has done in front of everybody. And I think that news and the White House, whoever was in office, was playing up to it, and they were trying to see what they could do or trying to prevent other people from making it work. The pandemic really changed a lot of things. It affected the kids even more, I think, because of the lack of personal communication. It was all online. It was all Zoom, social media, telephone, text, chat, whatever it was. Internet addiction, device addiction, those are also mental well-being hindrances. The internet and social media, you get certain feelings when you're using them. And, you know, you feel good when someone likes your post or you want to respond when someone comments on it and you feel a certain way, good or bad. And I think with the internet being as anonymous as it is and there's no face to a name or it's a, a pen name or a ghost name or whatever you want to call it, and people will say mean things and hurtful things to people, but they wouldn't necessarily say that to their face. And what did we do during the pandemic? We were on Zoom calls. We were blacked out screens on Zoom calls because nobody had the camera pointing at them. And even when we were in person, we were told to wear a mask, blocking our face. A very important part in nonverbal communication are our expressions. So we were not able to see how people were reacting to what we were saying. So it isolated us even more. What did you think it did to people, though? Did it make them depressed, anxious, uh, suicidal? Gosh, I hope not suicidal, but I'm pretty sure it made a lot of people depressed because of the lack of interaction. They were basically forced to talk to people on social media, and the outburst of social media definitely increased. I think this is a good portion of where we can start talking about intellectual humility and kind of how that plays into whether you're willing to accept information that's put in front of you 
and changing your perspective or believing whatever the media puts out there and you're gullible. I saw it on Washington Post. It must be true. I saw it on Facebook. It must be true. That doesn't mean that it's true. And intellectual humility allows someone that can take in information. And this kind of maybe can help you distinguish between who's crazy and who isn't. Because it seems to me that even though if maybe somebody's not crazy or diagnosed as being insane or have some type of disorder, or maybe it's not anything violent, but I personally am starting to think that if you don't have better decision-making skills, that maybe you are falling into some type of mental disorder. Am I wrong for saying that? So that's that's the funny thing about being crazy. You don't know you're crazy. You know what I like to say? You know why stupid people are so happy? Because they don't know any better. I like to think that I'm not crazy, and if somebody told me that I was, I would need to be convinced at some point, but... I don't know, man. I mean, I guess it could happen to the best of us. I mean, there's people that just switch like that, right, sometimes? Yeah. And let's face it, there's people that probably shouldn't have kids and people that do have kids that probably shouldn't have kids. There are some extreme views that I guess I have. You know, for example, I feel an eye for an eye. Some people may argue with this. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about it really, too, because I think there is forgiveness but if you go out and you obviously kill all of these people, you deserve to die. You should die and, and that fate too. But the punishment for some people is, no, let's put them in prison and have them sit there and rot for the next 30 years. Not rot, because when they're in prison, they get three hots in a cot. Okay, is that some prison term? I don't know. Three meals a day and a bed to sleep on. Let me make this clear, though. I didn't mean to say that everybody in jail or prison has got a mental disorder because a lot of it is they just made the wrong decision. So in order for us to acquire more intellectual humility, we all, even the smartest among us, need to better appreciate our cognitive blind spots. Our minds are more imperfect and imprecise than we'd like to admit. This even goes down to uh, they're talking in some articles where they're telling psychologists to use intellectual humility for maybe experiments or trials that have been tried in psychological scenarios before, again, I would think that some of the ways that they did these psychological experiments in the 1920s are probably not very humane, but intellectual humility would challenge them to run their own and find their own information. Even when we overcome the immense challenge and figures out of errors, uh, we need to remember that we won't necessarily be punished for saying I was wrong. And we need to be braver for saying that. We need a culture that celebrates those words. We will never achieve perfect intellectual humility, so we need to choose our convictions thoughtfully. You know, people that even suffer from PTSD, anxiety, and depression, those aren't chemical imbalances, right? That's not a chemical imbalance, anxiety and depression. I think that eating the right foods can stabilize those chemicals, those imbalances that you have. Many times it's like a zinc or a magnesium or a calcium or something in your diet that you're lacking that causes muscle cramps. Well, those same things can cause brain and mental health imbalances as well. The electrolytes do a lot for our bodies. 
I don't think that we've explored those opportunities or those avenues as, as well as we should. A lot of people do. And, you know, a dietitian will tell you, oh, yeah, I can make you feel better if you just follow this diet plan. And they're probably right. But people look at that as kind of a quack science because we're not giving them drugs. Or people aren't profiting off of it. So it can't be helpful. The food industry does. McDonald's. Not healthy. More like uh, Whole Foods. What I was trying to get to with intellectual humility is that a mental disorder treated by a mental technique versus drugs. Intellectual humility is, it's been around for a little while and it's been studied for some time. But yeah, I, I think you're right though, teaching people how to be aware of their situation. I'm a, a big proponent of telling my kids that, you know, what's your situational awareness? What's going on around you? Look around at everything else and then make an informed decision. But intellectual humility, I think similar in that you have to look at the evidence on both sides and not be blinded by your own biases. And it's a practice. It is a chore. It is something that you have to work on to understand how to do effectively. Opening your mind. You might not always change your mind. You might not need to. We're going to finish up on the topic here. Mental health is a big topic. There's lots to discuss about, a lot of different perspectives from medical personnel to people that are suffering from mental disorders to people that have PTSD because they were stuck in human trafficking. You know, any of those type of traumatic scenarios in your life are just so daunting on the brain. And I just want to say that if you're going through that, and you're feeling that you are suicidal in any way, there's a National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-TALK, or 1-800-273-8255. And press 1, we'll reach you to the Veterans Crisis Hotline. This topic leaves up a lot of open stuff because I really feel that mental health ties into all of the topics that we've talked about. Obviously, our mentality is who we are and how we correspond with people and how we live our lives. But also these people that have gone through these traumatic things or maybe they have a crazy quirk because they were treated this way for so long. It's a disability that's not seen. It's not a physical disability. It's a different kind of disability. And it's no less important than the ones that we treat mostly in medicine like cancer or a broken bone or an illness, uh, a physical illness. Mental illness and mental health is, is something that affects everyone. And let's face it, there are pharmaceutical companies out there that are taking advantage of people and give them diarrhea instead of schizophrenia. Or constipation. The heavy metals will constipate you, and that's a treatment for schizophrenia. The side effects of some of the medicines are the patient or the person will feel that the side effects just aren't worth going through to treat their condition. So they leave it untreated. So if you have something untreated, talk to your provider, talk to your healthcare professional, because there may be other ways to treat it without getting the side effects of the medicines. But that's something that is very personal and specific to each person who has an illness or feels that they need to speak with someone. You've been listening to the Collective Perspective Podcast, a mature show with the intention of making a difference in society. 
This is the Collector Perspective Podcast. In the month of June, we are doing the race cards by 904forward.org. And we're looking for some donations. If you can donate to us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com. If you would like to be so kind to support our cause, we are internally funded and would be forever grateful. In the month of June, we are celebrating the bicentennial of Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida has many things going on, and one of the great organizations that are part of our city is 904Word. 904Word.org is an organization that has race cards, and their whole premise is to ignite 200 conversations about race kind of the same premise that our podcast is on and how we're just trying to get people to talk about things that nobody else wants to talk about right media so most importantly if you listen to this podcast and you're just wondering about mental health and mental stability and you have that problem again uh reach out to us reach out to suicide hotline reach out to a loved one let them know that you're troubled and we're out of here peace You've been listening to the Collective Perspective Podcast, a mature show with the intention of making a difference in society. So take a ride with us. Join us at the Collective Perspective Podcast, where your personal truths get a little power wash. Like what you heard? Subscribe to the Collective Perspective Podcast whenever you listen to your podcasts. You can also show support for our mission by going to buymeacoffee.com backslash collective pod and donating whatever you feel inspired to. We appreciate any help keeping the lights on to bring you thoughtful and research content as part of this show. Visit the Collective Perspective Podcast show page on mtsjax.fm, Jacksonville's new music and multimedia network sponsored by Mixed Theory Studios. You can find the transcripts of this episode along with the show notes, material references, links you heard about, and more. Hey, I want to give a special shout out and a thanks to The Real J Dash, a Jacksonville hero, producer, and artist. For sharing his original music with this show and to the Mixed Theory Studios for recording and production services. We couldn't have done it without either of them. Thank you so much.